Welcome to the Amplifying Leadership Podcast, a place where my guests and I discuss leadership topics by sharing stories, challenges, wins, and more. My name is Tara Lehman, and I'm a partner, coach, and consultant at Twin Life Coaching and Business Services, of which Amplifying Leadership is a division. For our leadership clients, we love to support you with tools, coaching, learning, and implementation through all of our services. To learn more about Amplifying Leadership or our leadership community, please visit amplifyingleadership.ca. Today, I am welcoming Marnie Aylesworth. Marnie is an executive director for a nonprofit organization where she has helped transform the culture through mindfulness, compassion, and value-driven work. Welcome to the show, Marnie. Thank you so much, Tara. So before we get started on our discussion around DEIB, why don't you share a little bit about your story um, with us? Our audience knows a little bit more about you. Sure. I um, I actually come from the early childhood um, realm of professionalism. So I've been uh-huh. in the field of early childhood education for about 30 years now and um, started as a teacher. But my leadership journey really started when I became a center director for a child care program okay. in uh, the central Pennsylvania area. Um, and I um, had at that time, about 30 staff working with me, Mm -hmm. uh, 180 families and children that we were working with. And I was there um, for about 10 years working in that program and really only starting to begin to understand leadership practices and strategies and and even the importance of it. Um, So that was back in 1999. I started there. And since uh, I had moved on eventually to the organization that I'm in right now, which is also in early childhood education, but more on the support side, technical assistance and coaching. And um, I'm fortunate enough to lead a staff of about 130 um, uh, human beings. Yeah, I have um, seven directors who uh, operate directly underneath me. And um, yeah, we, we take care, we have about nine or 10 different departments that we work through to support the state of Pennsylvania around early childhood education. And it's in this organization that I really began to um, understand the responsibility that came with leadership mm-hmm. and what I needed to take on in order to um, be a good leader. And through those experiences, um, I learned a lot about myself and developed my own personal consulting business called BHIP Leadership, where I um, essentially am offering the um, guidance, support, mentoring um, to other leaders to help them um, in the journey that I took uh, as a leader um, to really embed quality, effective practices and human practices really mm-hmm. that's the big yeah. part for me the human component um and i i should say that i'm also a yoga teacher um and a mindfulness teacher and those things have infiltrated themselves into my leadership philosophy um which mm-hmm. will probably come up as we talk <laughs> yeah no and i love like that i know a lot of companies that are starting to build things like those type things or even stress reduction tools at work, which is definitely needed, right? We're all so busy and it's a stressful world we live in right now. So it's great to have leaders like you who think about those things. Yeah, thank you. So why don't we switch to our topic of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging today? Mm -hmm. Um, Can you, let's start with diversity. 
Um, you know, can you talk to us about why diversity is so important to you and your organization mm-hmm. or your leadership? Yeah, well, and it's really multifaceted. Um, first mm-hmm. and foremost, we serve the children and families of Pennsylvania. And uh, we felt very strongly in our organization that if um, we were going to go out and support early childhood educators and families um, and really support the idea of diversity and equity out in the world, we needed to get it right in our own house first. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and we didn't want to go out there and be the experts on something that we hadn't really dug into ourselves. Yeah. And, and so that was a big part of it. But the reality is that an organization is made up of human beings and, in, and human beings are important to me inherently. Um, that's just one of my characteristics. Mm-hmm. And if, if human beings are important to me, then inherently diversity must be important too, because I, I view the world as sort of this common humanity. If one of us is not free to live life happy and free, then none of us are going to be happy and free. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the thing that really kicked off the diversity work in our organization, um, which I'm sure is probably common among many organizations, was the um, the murder of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And what happened uh, the next day um, is that I was working, you know, I showed up to work just like everybody else did and had to face my staff, especially my staff who are people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, you know, just had to show up like nothing had happened. But, you know, this constant... Um, murdering of people of color and just the disenfranchisement of the community in general. Um, it, it just was, it was infiltrating every part of everyone's life. Yeah. And so you couldn't, all of a sudden you couldn't, you couldn't extricate yourself from it just because you were at work. Mm-hmm. Um, while, you know, pe- you know, my, my dearest friends, my colleagues, anybody who has been living um as a person of color in this world has been living this way their entire lives. Mm-hmm. You know, for some of us, the, George Floyd was just the wake up call. Right. Um, and so I'm looking at my colleagues in the eye and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to help. And I felt helpless. And um, I decided then that we were going to do something that was going to help impact their lives for the better and really everyone's lives for the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we have to start somewhere, right? And if if we didn't do it before, it's okay to start today because it needs to happen, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes, great. The key is not to just have a one and done. Exactly. Invest in a a systemic system of overthrowing some of the um, practices that have inherently marginalized people. Yes, a culture, a good culture with that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you already touched on the second one, which is equity. So we all know equity. I mean, everybody thinks pay equity. If I mention the word equity, the first thing someone says is pay equity. Uh And yes, huge part. Don't get me wrong there. Pay equity is a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, It needs addressed. Mm -hmm. And and it's very well known. So let's kind of take that piece because it is already well known out. But can Mm -hmm. you help our audience understand equity as a whole, you know, higher level understanding and why it's important to you? Yeah, that's a great question, because that is the thing that I am noticing. Um, Good people don't realize when something isn't 
equitable, right? Very true. Bad people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just that we're not, we haven't been trained to, we're not in the practice of noticing the inequity. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we have that privilege, which many of like, and I can say, and I've talked to my staff about my own privilege, while I did grow up very poor in a very Mm -hmm. um, traumatic childhood, I still had privilege. Mm -hmm. I mean, I walk around with a skin color that allows some for some privilege that I didn't even know I had, right? So it's not that I'm at fault here for having it. But once you realize the weight that that had carried in your life, what are you going to do with it? And mm-hmm. so the best way for me to explain equity is with a story, if that's okay, because absolutely has come up recently um, in our organization, we have a, a parent organization. So they take care of the HR stuff and, and IT and some of that other stuff. And um, it's an educational institution. And so there are certain uh, laws, and this isn't just true in education. It's also true in many other businesses where there's um, criminal uh, record checks, right? Mm-hmm. FBI, um, state, fingerprint, all kinds of things. In, in education in Pennsylvania, especially, um, there are certain laws around hiring folks because of um, some very awful sexual abuse scandal um, situations that happened in the state. And okay. so educators, when they apply for a job, including in my organization, they have to fill out an application that has a box on it. And it says, have you had any criminal offenses? Um, And it's pretty um, high level language, very legalese language. Uh, And they ask that, and you got to check the box if you've ever had a criminal offense, right? Okay. Uh, Now we, we do background checks. We do a criminal background check, FBI, state, child abuse, all of them across the board. So Mm -hmm. why are we asking this question on this box, right? Why are we asking people to check this box? What people don't realize is that is a very inequitable practice. It's a gotcha Mm -hmm. box because what happens Uh. is you might have, let's say a minor misdemeanor in your past. Um, Maybe you think it didn't, it won't show up. Maybe you don't think it counts. Maybe you forgot about it because it's so long ago. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you are a um, person who has had discrimination against you in the past because you're either a person of color or maybe you speak a different language or, you know, insert any other type of marginalized population. And so maybe you are afraid to check the box because you're afraid if you check it, they won't even call you for an interview. Right. So your name doesn't look like Joe Schmo. And now you've checked a box that says you've got a criminal background. Well, you're afraid they're going to discriminate against you because that's your experience. So you don't check the box. Mm-hmm. Well, then we do record checks and your criminal records come back. And lo and behold, there's something on there. Does that offense preclude you from working? No, actually it doesn't. Maybe it's just a misdemeanor. Mm -hmm. The fact that you didn't check the box now means you lied on your application. And now you're not eligible to work for the the organization because you are deceitful, which is categorically not true. So what happened is we've now we've got this gotcha box. We've got people who are setting up to say, I'm afraid to check it, or I don't know if I should check it. I don't know what I should do. They don't check it. Now they've lost out on a job simply because we've got this little gotcha box. And the reality is we are basing that whole process on other systems that are inequitable. So for example, if I had a staff person who we really thought was an excellent candidate, 
but had a minor misdemeanor. And um, they're a person of color, so they didn't check the box. They're afraid to do that. And then um, that comes up on their record check. How do what what are the circumstances we've got? We know we've got inequitable systems in the justice system, for example. Why was this particular person even pulled over when somebody else might not have been? Right. Mm -hmm. Why was this um, a crime that they were taken in and fingerprinted for when maybe if they were white, they might not have been. Right. So we're we're actually stacking the inequities upon one another within all of our systems and they all rely on one another. So when we realize that this is a gotcha box and that we've actually placed people in a situation where they can't win, we need to change it. And that mm -hmm. to me is what, what equity means is noticing those things. It is huge about noticing it. Um, you know, and there's some, some things too that are so simple that can be so frustrating too. I mean, my, my story is actually my sister and I, twins, that were mirror identical. So she's left-handed and I'm right-handed. And so, you know, when we were kids, I remember one of the teachers, and I'm not, I mean, I'm old enough, but I'm not that old, um, told my sister she had to learn to write with her right hand in grade eight. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is so past, like that was done a long time ago, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it was just like, that's when I started to learn about diversity and equity, maybe not those words, but just those feelings of, are you kidding me? Right? I mean, something so simplistic. As, you know, that she can easily write with her left hand. It's not that she, you can read it. It's beautiful. I, you know, what's wrong with it? Right. So I started to learn about some of those inequities long time ago. Yeah, so, I mean, it can happen to anybody. It doesn't have to be yeah. black and white or, you know, it, it can happen to any. My son is left-handed. The same thing happened mm -hmm. to him in music class. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, you know, inequities can be huge and they can be small. It's about what you said, recognizing them paying attention to them and accommodating where we need to. All right. So let's move to the I in DEIB, which is inclusion. Yeah. So when it comes to inclusion, I mean, everybody as leaders, we want everybody to feel welcome, heard and safe. And I'm a huge advocate of making sure everybody's included in decisions, even, um, you know, things like that. So talk to us a little bit about what inclusion means to you when it comes to your organization and what you do. Yeah, um, I I mean, I think it goes hand in hand with accessibility, right? And I know yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. that's a question, um, but I think inclusion is, in, it's important and, there's a big and in the middle, and it's not a but, it's inclusion and recognizing not everybody wants to be included right away or maybe yeah. doesn't feel safe to be included mm -hmm. um, in the ways that you think they should be included, right? Yeah, so you like, want them to like feed back to you or something and they're that yeah. person. It's like in school, right? They're at the back of the classroom hiding and then to the book, right? <laughs> they're just yeah. not ready. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's really important to make space for everyone on their journey within the DEI work. So mm -hmm. it's important to, first of all, have lots of options for the way people can feel included. Yes. Uh, you know, just because I say, you know, I'm encouraging everyone to talk in a meeting. Some people don't want to talk in a meeting. Like yeah. they don't want to be included that way. Right. Yeah. But, so you've really got to find innovative ways to make 
uh, lots of different choices, almost a menu of options for inclusion so that people can find the way to be included in things that they want to be included in and that they value and feel are important um, and not be forced into you know, something just in the name of inclusion. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of important to see both sides of it while also recognizing what are we doing to make things inaccessible to people, Yeah. right? Yeah. So making sure we're not forcing inclusion on those in, in those spaces where people aren't ready, but then also making sure that we are making space for those who we want to be included who have traditionally not been included and their voices mm -hmm. haven't been heard. Um, and I think that's yeah. super important when it comes to some of the invisible disabilities, um, like yeah. neurodiversion. Yes, and huge people, one. Yeah, people who don't, you know, we've got neurotypical and neurodiverse populations that work um, alongside everybody, each other mm -hmm. every single day. And a lot of times we don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. But how are we setting up, let's say we've got a large conference plan for all the whole organization how are we setting it up so that people know what to expect? Can we give a visual layout of the venue? Can we give yeah. an agenda ahead of time to help prepare some of our folks who are neurodiverse, who really appreciate those sorts of things, mm -hmm. right? Um, how are we going to uh, solicit feedback from our, our introverted folks? Because mm -hmm. they might not feel comfortable speaking out in a group, speaking, but they yeah. have some really valuable feedback. So it's so it's so rich with opportunities to think about how we include folks. Yes. And you touched on it. You know, the communication side of people are introvert or ex extrovert. They're going to react differently. They're going to communicate differently. And knowing that audience and how to communicate with them is key when it comes to inclusion, for sure. I mean, if I'm that you know person hiding in the back, but I might be great emailer, right? <laughs> I'm going to share all my ideas afterwards on an email because that's where I'm comfortable, right? Or maybe I have a stutter or something like that, and I don't want to talk out loud. So yeah, that that 100% agree. And so you touched on something I do want to talk about as well, which is belonging and accessibility, which when I look at the acronym, a lot of people think DEI or DEIB for belonging, but I add the A. So up here in, in uh, where I live, there is an actual psychological standard um, and a, an accessibility standard. So meaning if someone has a wheelchair or, you know, has some sort of disability and I'm going to the audience can't see us. We're both wearing glasses. Guess what that is? It's a disability. It is, right? Right. It is, right. And it's something that people just take for granted as being a disability. So let's talk about belonging and accessibility, um, you know, and how we can help those people. We've touched on a little bit, but do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I'll start with accessibility and then it sort mm -hmm. of, it, it, I think it comes loops around to belonging. So accessibility, I think, I talked a little bit about it as it relates to inclusion, but the most obvious first step, I think, is we hire more folks um, who identify with a disability. And, um, you know, that seems obvious, but we have to consider the obstacles that may have been unintentionally put in place that discourage mm -hmm. us or them from doing that. Um, but it's also important that become we become, as an organization, more aware of the casual ableism that exists in our society, yeah. which means it also exists in our organizations and our workplaces. Um, just like other marginalized groups, disabled people often experience microaggressions, mm -hmm. right? And so, and most times, as I said earlier, you know, people are good people. We're not setting out 
to, you know, in, perpetrate microaggressions on our colleagues. But especially when it comes to ableism, we don't even realize we're doing it. And we're mm -hmm. making these assumptions based on our own experiences. So being aware of these, educating employees about them, and then most importantly, um, believing our disabled employees when they report microaggressions can make the difference between a company that hires disabled employees and one that keeps disabled employees for longer than a few months. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I love that. And, it, you know, everybody has something to give. We just have yeah. to figure out how that fits, you know. Okay, so you're in a wheelchair and then people say you can't be a truck driver. That's mm -hmm. not true. There are mm -hmm. ways that they can modify so people who don't have use of their legs can drive. I mean, they do it with cars, right? Exactly. So it, it is possible. It's just about how do we think about it? How do we accept it, right? So I'd like love that you touched on that. Yes. So if our audience today wanted to take away that that thing, that that tip from you, um, to help start building a great culture around DEIB and A, what would you say that key takeaway should be today? Ooh, well, I don't know if it's just one. Um, I'll, make, I'll make it sound like just one. But, all right. Uh, <laughs> um, I would say, first of all, we have to start with ourselves, right? Absolutely. If we're not well, and when I mean, when I say well, I mean healthy physically, yes, but mentally well, mentally um, fit and feeling healthy, then it's very, very hard to engage in this work. There has to be work on self. Mm -hmm. if basically, I'm I'm sort of of this mindset that you in what you want to see in your organization, you have to be yourself. Yes. You have to mm -hmm. enact it. Um, you have to demonstrate it. And then listen to your voice, know and love yourself, take care of yourself, because this is hard, hard work. Mm -hmm. And these are, you know, they sound like platitudes um, and easier said than done for sure. But they're really important because what happens when you start DEI work is um, you have to be not just you, but everyone in your organization has to be in a place where they can look at themselves in the mirror and say, "Ooh, I have bias. Mm -hmm. Oh, I come with some privilege, you know, no matter who we are, we all have something in our lives that mm -hmm. offered us a little privilege, even if we grew up in some of the worst circumstances. Um, so recognizing those things, saying them out loud is hard, especially if you don't already have a strong foundation for self-compassion mm -hmm. and an appreciation for yourself. So my, my biggest tip to all leaders is start with you. Find what helps fuel your energy and your purpose, take care of you. And then absolutely, 100%, you have to start with values. You have to have yes. shared values within the organization. You have to be able to agree upon them and then not just have a list on the wall, but actual behaviors. But do it. That, what does that look like in action? Yes. Yes. What does that mean here? So when I say mm -hmm. respect is important at, the, at our organization, what it looks like is we don't talk about people behind their back. When we mm -hmm. have a concern, we talk with them in a respectful manner and we go to them and we trust that they will listen and then we'll have an adult conversation. Yeah. Like yeah. That's one way respect shows up in our organization. So I, I Yeah, I love that. And you touched on lead by example too. It, mm -hmm. It's about don't just say these things. No. Don't just tell your employees to do it. You have to do it yourself. 
And you're right, values. I mean, I could do a whole podcast on values. That is so key to organizations. And I love that you brought it up as a a key takeaway because it is something that, that people need to pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for a great conversation today. If anybody wanted to learn more about you or how to get a hold of you, can they find you online somewhere? Yeah, absolutely. Um, probably the best place is uh, my website, behipleadership.com. Um, and there it's got links to my LinkedIn and uh, my Facebook page as well. Um, and a little bit more about my BHIP Leadership organization. I love the name. <laughs> Thank you so much for a great conversation today. Thank you, Tara. It was a pleasure. And of course, a thank you to our listeners. We do hope that you're able to gain some valuable information or key takeaway today. If you are in leadership and you know that leadership coaching, consulting, and community are the way to grow, please visit us at amplifyingleadership.ca, a twin life coaching and business services division. Until next time, please be safe and be an amazing leader or leader to be. Perfect.